This is episode 85 with Brian Krieger talking about product validation and price sensitivity. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. Uh, You'll never believe, well actually you will, because if you've listened to the last few episodes, you're probably hella jealous of us right now. We are currently recording this in Cebu, Philippines. Um, We've had to take shelter inside while actually recording this interview because it's been torrential downpour majority of the trip so far. But the uh, gentleman I have on this podcast, we I actually didn't intend to bring him on until last night when we were sitting around for drinks at dinner. And um, like a big part of the conversation I have with clients is how do I know if my product is going to sell? And they kind of, you know, when you come to someone like me to launch your product, you kind of have this assumption that I know if it's going to sell or not. But we seem to miss the big picture of... Uh, actually making sure that your product will sell before you sink thousands of dollars and months into a product, making sure it's going to launch. And I was like launching into this conversation with Brian last night and he's like, yeah, no, because I sell, like I'm going to, he'll be explaining what he does, but he's a very successful seller on Amazon with multiple brands. And it's almost the first thing that people learn when they look into how to launch a brand on Amazon is how to do research and see if this product is already selling and if like how to source the right product before you start and create a brand around it. And this is something that is not done in the crowdfunding community. And I was like, Brian, on my show, validation, I keep talking about it, but um, I haven't done a show on it in a long time because the last one we had was on Pat Flynn, Will It Fly? And so he was telling me, like walking me through some of the things. I was like, dude, this conversation, we need to have a podcast and just record it because it's really good. And he, um, like just what they do um, and what the people he, he helps, like you, just a lot of tools that I think the Kickstarter community can really benefit from. And there's a lot of overlap in e-commerce and all that. So I have Brian Krieger here. Um, I'm just going to let him 
introduce himself. So, Brian, I'm so happy to be sitting here with you drinking beers in the Philippines. Thanks, Kirsten. It's really amazing the conversations that alcohol influences, right? Right? I know. Because... I have to, I'm walking around with my notepad like a little nerd. The reason we're, so Brian and I are not on some romantic getaway in the Philippines. We're actually here at a conference held by Chris Ducker, Tropical Think Tank. And uh, I just feel like such a huge nerd because I walk around like, oh, you know, Brian will say something or one of the other attendees and I'm just like, oh my God, such a great idea. And alcohol does that. And heat, of course. Um, it's a little muggy in the Mercedian, but yeah. 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 So uh, a little bit about my backstory. Uh, I spent 23 years in the corporate world, uh, the last uh, 10 to 15 years of my career. I spent in the air conditioning, refrigeration uh, products space, the parts space, not equipment, but parts. And uh, the company I worked for, we did a lot of private labeling where we had our own manufactured products, uh, but we also sourced products. So what I did there was competitor analysis, uh, product uh, positioning, packaging, branding, intellectual property, that type of thing. And uh, some things happened in the corporate uh, world, as they do, and I was uh, somewhat frustrated. I was searching around for something to do. And a friend of mine asked uh, for some help in starting a barber shop, and uh, that morphed into, well, let's create our own line of hair care products, which I did. And uh, that was in late 2013 that I was doing that. And uh, I came to the very first Tropical Think Tank, which was in May, uh, excuse me, March of 2014, uh, about three years ago, and uh, uh, already had the products ready, ready to launch, uh, ready to sell, and I met a fellow uh, at TTT uh, in March of 2014. He's been on your podcast, I think, and, uh, and uh, you've been on his, Ryan Daniel Moran. No, but actually, I need to get him on the podcast, yeah. but I've been so, on Freedom Fastlane. Yeah. Yep, yep, and uh, Ryan's a good guy. Um, he, uh, we were bellied up to the bar, as, as we said. Uh, interesting conversations happen uh, with, uh, with uh, some lubrication. But he said, Brian, you maybe might just want to consider, uh, it's up to you, but uh, you might want to just look at maybe selling on Amazon. And uh, so I did. First, uh, uh, first month I sold was May of 2014. Uh, I sold 500 hours. And uh, I'll do... Uh, I'll do over a quarter million uh, this month. So uh, That's quite know, the transition in three years. Yeah, it took me 27 months uh, to get to the first million-dollar run rate. It took me uh, four more months to get to the two million, and I'm well on my way to three million now. So, so it's good. an awesome marketplace, uh, but it's uh, one of the things we're here to talk about today is uh, product validation, uh, both for Kickstarter uh, and, and crowdfunded products, uh, but also just products in general. Because although it is not easy to create and manufacture a product, I know that, it's also uh, as equally difficult to sell a product. Uh, if there is a market for your product, it makes it a lot easier to sell the product. If there is no market for your product, then it makes it extremely difficult to sell it. So it's a good idea to figure out if you can sell your product before you go to the time and expense to make the product. Yeah. And so I haven't launched anything on Amazon yet. I hope to change that in the next 12 months. But one thing, um, there's this amazing overlap between Amazon and Kickstarter projects because that's your go-to-market strategy. Once you've launched a Kickstarter project, uh, you then can use Amazon to increase your sales and, and boost your brand online. Um, but 
one thing that traditional Amazon sellers start with, and you know, you can speak more to this, but when, just say I were looking to launch a product on Amazon right now, my very first step is going to be to find a product to white label and sell. And so I need to, before I invest my 10 or 15 grand into a product initial run to actually start an e-commerce store, I need to find a product first. And that's where validation comes in. That's testing the market. It's making sure there's actually a need for your thing before you pick your product. And you pick your product based on what is currently a good niche that's untapped into and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's just so weird that Kickstarter community hasn't really caught on to that yet. And the amount of ideas that come to me, like, do you think this will sell? I'm like, actually, we're putting systems in place right now for validation, but they're so different to what you're doing. So there's, uh, when you're launching, creating and launching a product, you can think about the different types of products. Uh, one is a product which is truly innovative. It's completely unique. Uh, there's nothing else like it out there. Um, the, the vast majority of products are not in that space. And quite frankly, if you're just starting out, you probably don't want to be in that space where you're doing something completely different from everybody else. Uh, the, 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 the complete other side to that coin is a product which has very little differentiation from products that are already out there. And you may or may not stamp your own logo on it, for example. But the product itself is a dime a dozen where there are a lot of suppliers and there's very little differentiation between the products. Kind of the, the, the area for success is the space between those two extremes. And one of the unique things about uh, crowdfunding platforms is the ability to get cash up front to help fund uh, your product development costs, your production costs, uh, your launch costs that you have. Um, and, and that's very unique versus the conventional Amazon private label where most sellers are self-funding that initial inventory run. So the good candidate product is a product which solves an already existing need in the eye of the consumer. So if you're looking for a market validation, you really want to research who is the consumer that is, uh, that is buying a similar type of product today? What is the problem that they're solving? And how does your product do that better, faster, cheaper for that individual? And cheaper is not just necessarily the unit selling price. It's the total uh, cost of ownership for that product. But you always want to, to in, in order for you to create differentiation, you have to have a product which does it better, faster, or cheaper than the incumbent product. And if you can really nail that messaging down to your consumer through good copy, through good images, through good video, you can crush it. But with all of that said, if the available market for all of the the products sold in that solution space is, say, arbitrarily $10,000 a month, you probably don't want to be in that space. You can't get to half a million dollars a month in product sales if the market is only $10,000 a month. So you may have the best thing, the best solution for this, but if it's a small market, 
you're not going to have a big selling product. Yeah, this seems counterintuitive because like any newbie who's not, sorry if that offends anyone, but anyone who currently is not uh, an e-commerce entrepreneur and they're they're just starting out and they're looking at Kickstarter for that first brand, it seems counterintuitive because you'll look and see all these new cutting edge tech gadgets and drones and things that have never been done before. Like Scully, for example, which was the $1,800 VR infused motorcycle helmet. People have the stigma that, well, my product has to be so new and never been done before, but yet you're saying that you need a sweet spot for something that has already been done before, but has a bit of a twist to it. Yep. So I just want to clarify why you think, because just before we started recording, you said like you're actually in a dead zone if you go to do something that has never been done before. And I'd love to focus more on like, why is it that we don't want to go for totally new and innovative? Okay, so the, you can if you want to, just recognize that it's going to be extremely expensive to acquire a customer relative to customers that already recognize a need for the product. If you have to develop that perception in the mind of the potential customer, if you have to develop that percep perception for the need for the product, you have to do that first before then you can then convince them to buy that product. Versus if you select a product where there's already a, driven need, a, a, a need driven in the mind of that consumer, you've just saved a crap ton of money on the promotional cost that it takes to, to sell that product because you don't have to explain the need. Uh, a very cool example um, that blew me away about six, four, six weeks ago it was in a Facebook ad. It was a toothbrush. I kid you not, it was a toothbrush. But it was super cool, it was innovative, it was a new company, and they sold, it was electric toothbrush with battery powered, and it was cheap. I think it was, uh, the, ex the, the super most expensive one was 40 bucks, but it included a bunch of toothpaste, et cetera. They had a $20 version too. I bought the $40 one because it was metal. Um, but it came with a subscription program. So not only were they selling that initial sale, they sold a subscription program for the replacement brushes and the toothpaste right up front. So nobody had to pay to convince me of the need to buy a toothbrush and, and spend the money to do that. I already know I need to buy a toothbrush. They just had to spend the money to convince me that theirs was the best toothbrush out there. That's probably a, 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 a good illustrative example of trying not to reinvent the wheel, just make it a little bit better. Or it's like the, if you guys have been following um, some of our work, it's like the Jamstack campaign where if you're an electric guitar fiend, it's a portable amplifier that connects to the base of your guitar. It's reinventing traditional amps and making it portable. It's still an amplifier, but it's just switching it up, uh, hitting on the consumer need that like amps are uh, heavy and they're, they're not easily accessible without having to spend minutes setting it up. And so this has just taken that in-between need and reinvented the wheel again. But current product, better solution yep. as well. So when you, when you have a product and you're looking at launching it, um, I'd love to know what your first step is when you start looking at if, is there a need for this product? Because it sounds like there are two things to take into consideration. First, is this something that will sell? But secondly, how much will it sell? And, and how much, how great is the need in the market? So 
What is your first step? Like? We, we, we look at three things. So in my company, we, we have what I call the hatch method. Uh, my company is called the product hatchery. So I have eggs and chickens and things through the theme of the Amazing. company. But uh, we have the hatch method, which is very simple. It's identify, commercialize, launch, and grow your product. So what we're talking about is the identification stage. And uh, of all of our ideas, and we have a lot of them, okay, uh, of all of our ideas, uh, we grade them on three things. There are three things, and we just do it simply. We give it a one, two, or three scale. And it's not really uh, quantitative. It's more qualitative based on our experience. We just say one is good, three is bad, two is I don't know. And we keep it simple, but we grade it on three things. One is what I talked about earlier, the size of the market. How big is the market? If it's too small, it's a three. If it's really, really big, really, really big, as in more than half a million dollars a month, it's a three because it's almost too big to create some differentiation. There are some ex some uh, exceptions there. That's why this is uh, qualitative and not quantitative. Uh, we like markets that are in the fifty to two fifty thousand dollars a month range. This is U.S. dollars, so cool. Um, yeah, yeah for, for our friends north of the border. But uh, the second thing we look at, in addition to size of the market, we look at the level of difficulty. Okay, so we look at how difficult it will be to bring this product to market, and and we lump a bunch of things in there from regulatory oversight. If it's a food product or a medical product, we look at uh, electrical products have a higher level of difficulty because of the approvals. Uh, if, if they're plugged into mains, uh, power supply, battery powered is a little bit different thing. Uh, but depending on where you're going to sell it, if you're going to sell it in Europe, you've got Rojas compliance and WE compliance, etc. cetera. Uh, so level of difficulty, um, that is kind of an all-encompassing. One is easy, Three is, is difficult. Two is, yeah, we'll see. Uh, the third thing we look at is level of competition. Okay? So we look at mark, size of the market, level of difficulty, level of competition. Is it extremely high and aggressive competition? An example of a, a really aggressive, highly competitive market is dietary supplements. Okay? That's a space where there's, it's a huge market, but there are a lot of sellers. And that extends to, it makes it more of a challenge for you to differentiate your product because there's so many competitors out of there, out there. And, and quite frankly, a lot of them are doing some black hat tactics, okay? And that's just not where uh, we wanna go as, as a company. So we take these three things, uh, size of the market, uh, level of difficulty, level of competition, and we make a value judgment of that particular product. And if it's something that we want to advance to the full financial qualification stage, which is when we start doing the cost analysis and making sure we can make this product at a cost level that will give us a suitable profit uh, at the target selling price, which is derived from our market study, which also we learn from the size of the market. So... Uh, there's a couple tools selling on Amazon that you can use for plug-in. Jungle Scout's one of the big ones. Uh, Merchant Words. Look at keyword search volumes, uh, both Google and Amazon. That'll give you some indications to market size. Um, 
and uh, Jungle Scout is a great plug-in for a tool. It's a subscription tool. You got to pay for it, but mm -hmm. uh, it extrapolates it uh, data from the from the uh, bestseller rank, the BSR uh, for the listing. Uh, they, these won't be new tools for some folks. It may be new for others. But we look at uh, size of the market, uh, level of difficulty, level of competition. Where would you say, for your preference, is the sweet spot between those three? So what we do, we assign the one, two, or three uh, to them, and we simply uh, we average the three. And uh, uh, we have then a market penetration expectation, how much of that market we would expect to get, uh, given a one, a very, very easy product, uh, an, an average of one. You take three ones together and average them, you get a one. You take three threes together, you average them, you get a three to a very difficult product, which is an average of a three. Um, it's highly unlikely that we would choose to commercialize or advance forward a three product, simply because there's lower hanging fruit. There's other things we can do. Um, one important undertone uh, in this conversation, uh, which I think is critically important for your listeners, and that is, don't get emotionally attached to your product. As much as you love it and think it's the best thing since sliced bread, um, be uh, objective about your analysis, your financial analysis, and make sure you can build a business around this because you're not in business to be a charity. You're in business to make money so that you can hire employees and make more products down the road. If you're losing dollars on every sale you make, that is not a sustainable business. Take that advice, guys. I see so many emotionally invested founders that when information comes back to disprove their product, when it's not as big or as hot as you think it is, you tend to make bad decisions on the brand that will cost you a lot of money. So heed that advice uh, from someone who's been in the field, launched multiple products. So I'm curious, like I'm trying to wrap my brain around how to do this, like uh, you, okay, you realize that, okay, it averages a two safe territory for us. So next step is cost analysis. Is that just um, going to a design firm, making sure you understand the cost of developing product and, and all that stuff? Or? So what I'm doing uh, in my business, uh, it's, uh, taking an existing design and doing a slight modification to it. Uh, it's not doing my own design, my own custom tooling. Uh, I understand some of your listeners will be doing their own designs, their own custom tooling. I would encourage uh, to be uh, prudent in the validation of their idea prior to spending a lot of money on tooling. Um, for example, you can get single cavity injection mold tools for a lot less money than you can get a multi-cavity tool. Obviously, single cavity uh, parts will be more expensive. Your unit price may be higher. Uh, you may be able to buy some off-the-shelf components uh, to get an initial production run of a couple thousand units to, to run your Kickstarter campaign just to prove uh, that there is a market for your product and then cost reduce it later. Mm -hmm. It is a very good problem to have, to have a lot of sales and have to cost reduce it. Uh, it is not a good problem to have when you have a lot of inventory and no way to sell it. 
Right. Now, I'm going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and um, sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or a platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually create, um, created a discount code for the Uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to... Uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. So we've done market validation. Um, part of what I do, and I'm curious to see like what it, you do a little bit differently with this, but the validation that I do with clients is they'll take on a project. We set up a sales funnel. We, it's the landing page. We get a basic email sequence together. We do um, basic audience insights um, and come up with uh, two or three different audiences and interests to test. And then we drive traffic to that page, and we see how the industry reacts. And if we don't get a good cost per acquisition, we don't do the project. That's it. Or you can do certain things like customer interviews. You can do randomized surveys through like SurveyMonkey or whatever just to understand the need a little bit more. Um, but I'm curious, like, do you have any others, anything else you do to validate cost, like a price point that someone would sell this for? Or So the the interesting thing with uh, with the private label business uh, which is also applicable if you're not reinventing the wheel uh, if there are comparable products in the marketplace there's likely a price range where uh, those products may sell for anywhere from 25 to 45 dollars or it might be a different range just use that one as an example what you want to make sure is that you can make money if you have to sell at the low end of that price range, but you probably want to start by selling at the higher end of your price range, especially on a launch scenario when you're launching your product. Start high. You can always lower price later uh, if you need to, but you may be surprised. You, you, if, if you can create enough differentiation in your product, you can be at the middle to the high end of your price range of, of where your competition is. So the other the other key takeaway that I think I would that I would have your listeners uh, do is um, it, you're not reinventing the wheel. There are people out there who are experts in the field. Uh, even if you are an expert in the field for your particular product, there are hopefully more than you. If so, you're likely in a very small market. Find out who they are. Talk to them. They may know something that you don't. They may give you an interesting idea uh, that you may not have thought of. Um, and there's different ways to do that. Uh, if you're in the field, you likely know who those VIPs, who those experts mm -hmm. are. Uh, they could be you know, people with, with large YouTube channels or blogs or, or running Facebook pages or communities. They could be uh, uh, ex-employees of uh, uh, competitor companies that you're going to compete with. Reach out, connect to them on LinkedIn, figure out who they are. In fact, there's firms that will help you do those connections if you want to. Mm -hmm. 
be inquisitive. Be, uh, seek out information from others. Don't rely on your own experiences. Be objective. Very cool. Um, So there's other thing where I believe that you shouldn't look at competition like you need to hoard your secrets. Um, The amount of times that I've had a client launch a similar product to someone I've had on the podcast, um, you think, for example, in uh, children's safety industry, um, you'd think that these two companies wouldn't want to talk, but actually I reached out to the founder of MyFold, for example, um, with Child Booster Seat, which we had him on the podcast a while ago. And I was like, hey, John, um, I have a client who is launching a product similar to yours, and he wants to understand some of the um, challenges you faced in your crowdfunding campaign and what are some things that you learned about the industry. And you would think, why the heck would John help him? But John got on the, or John's um, like COO who ran the campaign, he got on the phone with my client and they had a great conversation, uh, shared some experience from what they learned and they even connected us to their PR firm. And so connections work. You find that people who run similar kinds of campaigns, they talk and they know each other because you guys learn off each other. And that would be a really great place. Like, just don't think that, oh, I'm, I'm launching the next watch company, so I can't reach out to the founders of Live to get their two cents or Filippo Loretti. Like, you never know. You just have to ask as well. Um, I mean, even one of my clients, Jerry, he's so good at connecting with influencers just because he's so interested in what they're doing. And now he's like improving his network and sending them free product in, in advance for the launch, which is going to help get testimonials and stuff like that. But it's just like, you just ask, you never know what you're going to get in exchange. And you get real feedback from people who, hey, if you do an initial pro- production run and you want to send out 200 um, things of your product, that's a great way just to get beta testers before you go big with your launch right? as well. Sounds like a great idea. And, and don't fear your competition. Embrace them. Learn from them. And perhaps even partner with them if, if appropriate. Yeah. Because, like, the odds of you selling literally the exact same thing as them, uh, very slim. So I'm curious. What would you say is your favorite way to validate a product? Selling it. Selling it. If it sells. And, and uh, you know, that's a little, little bit of a flippant answer. But uh, you can do all of the prep work you want to. You can do all of the market research you want to. You can, you can find the perfect supplier. You can find the perfect product. Um, nothing is certain until you're actually selling that product and getting that revenue. Um, and then that gives you some, some space to improve the product, come out with the next generation uh, and uh, the next version of that product. Uh, at some point, you're going to have to take a risk. The cool thing about a crowdfunding platform is you're able to push a significant portion of that financial risk to your backer community, but don't let them down. Oh, don't let them down. That's a whole other conversation. Um, one of my last questions is, have you ever had a product fail? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you think you know a lot about a product space uh, and you get something wrong. Uh, it could be the positioning of the product. It could be the pricing of the product. It could just be the formulation or the launch method or the presentation of the product. But, yeah, 
uh, you know, you have to plan. Uh, if you're going to launch uh, 10 products, you have to plan on a quarter to a third of them, hopefully not that many, but you plan on that, that number failing. It's, it's, uh, it's a fact of life. How would you analyze why a product failed? That's a difficult one. You have to, you have to be uh, really honest with yourself. Um, you have to look at some numbers uh, if you can get them. You also have to be uh, introspective, really truly introspective of, your, of yourself. Um, you may never know for certain what caused the failure of a product. You may, um, you may have a shifting market, competitors shifted, something pricing moved, new competitors came into the space. Uh, you may not know, but uh, just be as, as curious as you can as, on your failures uh, as you are on your successes because you may not have succeeded because of the reasons you thought you did. You should be equally inquisitive on both. I love that. And my last question is, if you can go back and start it all over again, it would, do you have one thing you'd do differently? I think I would have scaled much, much faster. It took me uh, two years uh, to, to really get my head wrapped around and scaling this business. Um, I think that it was a contributor. Now, all that being said, I scaled and hired people faster than a lot of others, uh, but I think I could have done it faster. Um, but I was also doing it part-time. Uh, I was still working in the corporate world. But, uh, you know, I, I wish I would have moved, moved faster. Yeah, gotcha. Because I remember you were doing some, like, what, your work schedule was, like, 3 to 7 in the morning working on your Amazon business and then going to corporate. Yep. Now you wake up chronically early. I do. Still do. <laughs> Amazing. So, Brian, this has been awesome. I just love diving into the pre-launch phase of answering that one question is, how do I know if my product's going to sell with you? Um, where can people find out more about you, what you're working on, how they can work with you? Uh, simple. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, but my website is briankrieger.com. That's Brian with an I, Krieger, C-R-E-A-G-E-R, briankrieger.com. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, that wraps up another episode. Um, again, we release weekly. Be sure to head over to crowdfundinguncut.com and pick up your physical product checklist, which walks you through the entire pre-launch phase for six months, step-by-step what you need to do to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign as based on the system I created for launching six successful campaigns, totaling multi-million dollars, uh, multiple seven figures, sorry. Um, this room is a little hot, so it's getting to my brain. Um, and uh, hey, if you're digging the show, I'd love an honest review on iTunes. You could uh, just head over to the show notes. Again, crowdfundinguncut.com slash blog. You'll find the latest episode and link to iTunes. Uh, thanks so much. I love you and appreciate you. And um, getting ready to line up a couple of really awesome episodes from this uh, conference. So thanks so much, guys. Take care. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and 
scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.